You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The reading today is from Mark 1, 9-15, from the Common English Bible. Jesus is baptized and tempted. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the Spirit, like a dove, coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. At once Jesus forced Jesus <clears throat> I'm sorry at once the spirit forced Jesus out into the wilderness he was in the wilderness for 40 days tempted by Satan he was among the wild animals and the angels took care of him Jesus's message after Jesus was arrested Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news saying now is the time here comes God's kingdom change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Thank you, Pat, for reading our scripture this morning. Mark, I'm hearing some feedback. If you'll pull my mic down a little bit, please. Thank you. So a few weeks ago at the start of our last worship series, Life of the Beloved, we heard this same story of Jesus's baptism, but from the perspective of the Gospel of Matthew. And in that reading, the reading ended right on the voice of God from heaven declaring that Jesus is God's beloved son. But today we've heard from Mark. Mark uses fewer verses to cover a lot more time. He not only continues into the wilderness immediately following the baptism, but then he jumps forward many many, um, weeks ahead of time in the story so that we see that Jesus is entering his public ministry after his cousin John has been arrested. So in a shorter reading, we get a broader view. Here we see that immediately following God's declaration that Jesus is his beloved son, the spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. Now you may already know that when the Bible uses a number, it's often something to get our attention and to make a point. When we see the number 40, it's rarely referring to the actual count of days or weeks or years that pass in a story. Instead, it is a symbol for us to pay attention because the number 40 is pointing toward a time of transformation. We see this in the story of the flood when we're told that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights when God wanted to transform the world from a place filled with wickedness to one that had been cleansed. We see this in the number 40 years that the Israelites wandered from captivity in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. And so here we are told that Jesus goes to spend 40 days in the wilderness. So we know that we can expect some great transformation happening. And here on this first weekend in the season of Lent, we are on our own journey of transformation. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday and continues through Holy Saturday, but we actually take a break on Sundays 
Every Sunday is a little Easter. So you don't count the Sundays in the season of Lent. But for the 40 days where we are focused on the seeds of hope and love and grace that we are asking God to plant in us, we are expecting transformation to happen between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. Now this week, I know some of you all worshipped at Sleepy Hollow United Methodist. Some of us went to Clarendon United Methodist. But it was an opportunity to gather with our local neighbors and to have the sign of the cross placed upon our foreheads. To remind our hearts to turn toward the cross of Good Friday and the open tomb that we will celebrate at Easter. This coming Easter is going to be unlike one this congregation has ever experienced before, because we are going to be celebrating the grand opening of our new building on Easter Sunday. When we gather that morning at 1030 to sing, to pray, and to praise God, we will be concluding the epic of transformation of the physical property of our church But more than that, we're going to be honoring the transformation that God has been doing in this community for decades. The transformation to turn out and to serve our neighbors, to be willing to sacrifice a space that served our people for over a hundred years in order to better serve our community, to be willing to be displaced for this season of construction, to give up the normal routine of worship on Sunday mornings, to worship instead in person on Saturdays. There have been so many other little sacrifices and big sacrifices. Some of you who participated in our Dreams to Reality campaign made a three-year financial commitment that was a pledge at a sacrificial level. I know when Greg and I made our pledge, we had to change some significant things in our life in order to give at the level God had challenged us to give. And so here we are ending this time in the wilderness. And as I have referred to this season of the wilderness for our congregation, I have always thought back to that story of the Exodus. But finally this week, my brain shifted from that journey in the wilderness Partly because for a while I was really worried it was going to take 40 years to get this building built. (laughs) And we're now weeks away. But this week, because I was sitting with our text from Mark, I began instead to imagine these 40 days of Lent and the remaining 40 days for us in this wilderness of Saturday worship in person, of being in rented space, instead of that desert journey to instead imagine ourselves in the wilderness with Jesus right after his baptism, to settle in to the grace of Jesus, knowing he was God's beloved, but then who was led into a place filled with temptations, a place where he was both tempted and transformed. And so as we are beginning our Lenten journey this year, I encourage you to enter this same space with Jesus to remember that you are God's beloved and you will be surrounded by temptation. And we are in a season of transformation. Now, while Jesus was in the desert, he relied upon God's faithfulness. And there are other gospels that tell us more details about what those temptations look like and how he relied upon the text of God to proclaim and stand firm and resist temptation. 
But we all have our own stories about how God has been faithful to us. The ways that when we are facing temptation, we can stand firm and claim God's promises for ourselves. We know that we are God's beloved children, but that does not insulate us from the challenges and temptations of this world and of our own egos. Temptation surrounds us every day. For some folks, it is tangible, like an addiction to a substance, like drugs or alcohol or food, an addiction to a process like gambling or shopping. For others, it is a temptation to continue a familiar and comfortable pattern of sin, judging others, stealing, lying, manipulating others to get our own way. Whatever that familiar pattern of sin in our life, in this season of Lent, we are called to examine our hearts and to embrace the desire to turn from that sin and to give it up. That's one of the reasons why during Lent, we focus on the practice of fasting. That's one of the three emphasis we have, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. So for this brief season of 40 days, we give up something that is a temptation to us, a barrier to our spiritual growth, something that stops us from transforming into the people that God is calling us to be. Now, so often we look at Lent and we say, well, this year I'm going to give up something I love like chocolate. And this year with Lent starting on Valentine's Day, that caused an internal conflict for a lot of folks feasting on chocolate when Lent is a time of fasting. But let's be clear, Lent is not a diet. Fasting during Lent is about identifying something in our life that is a barrier to us loving God and loving others with the perfect love of God. And we give up that barrier. We try to remove that roadblock. Enjoying the chocolate that was gifted to me on Valentine's Day wasn't a conflict until I had a moment of conviction. And I remembered years ago when I was researching a sermon and I learned about the child labor that is so often part of harvesting chocolate. And for a while after that sermon, I was diligent in sourcing chocolate that was proclaimed to be free from child labor. But that was a while ago, and my attention got pulled in other directions. And so this week, after I had enjoyed that chocolate heart that was given to me, the spirit of conviction came, and I was reminded, I didn't look at where that came from. I don't know who harvested that chocolate I just enjoyed. But what followed was not just shame or guilt. It was the call that we hear at Lent to turn and repent. The words that Jesus said when he went into Galilee and proclaimed the good news. Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives. Trust this good news. Here comes God's kingdom is the gospel of Jesus coming into this world. Change your hearts and lives and trust this Good news. John the Baptist called people to repent, to turn from sin and turn towards God. And now Jesus is here in their midst telling them that the heart of the gospel is about turning from sin to change their hearts and lives, to change their perspective. In this, script, in this scripture, we hear Jesus preach the gospel in a way that sounds so simple. 
and yet it is life-changing. The good news is that in Jesus, the kingdom of God has come to us. The kingdom of God embodied in the person that we call Jesus of Nazareth proclaimed this goodness. It is good news. Biblical scholar John Dominic Crossan suggests that when Jesus is speaking of the kingdom of God, he is not talking about some divine reality that will emerge from the heavens at some point in the future. But instead, Jesus is challenging his disciples to imagine what would the world look like if God were on the throne instead of Caesar? The phrase, the kingdom of God, appears 14 times in this gospel, according to Mark. And we believe that Christ incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth is what brings God's kingdom close at hand. But not just for the people who lived 2,000 years ago to hear him say those words, but that Jesus has brought the kingdom and that it remains close today. At Jesus' baptism, we know that he was God's beloved son. We know that he invited his disciples to continue to imagine a different world. And that didn't stop at his death and resurrection. We have an opportunity today as disciples of Christ to imagine what the world would look like if God were on the throne. Now, we know that throughout history, there are many dangers and pitfalls of countries who try to create a theocracy where people rule in God's name because humans have a tendency to create God in our own image. Instead, Jesus is challenging us to imagine if God were truly in our midst, if the eternal Christ appeared in this world and the man called Nazareth, the man called Jesus of Nazareth or in our midst now as the resurrected Christ. If this kingdom were to draw close to us, what decisions would we make? How would it change how we spend our time, spend our money, focus our priorities? If we were to imagine the kingdom of God here in our midst, would we begin to see glimpses of it all around us? Yesterday, when I went to the grocery store to make sure that the house was stocked before our snowstorm, I had brought a few reusable bags, but had underestimated how many I'd need. And so I asked the clerk to give me a few of the store bags. And I was a little embarrassed. I said, oh, I ended up getting more than I thought I would. And he had such a spirit of graciousness. And he said to me, well, what a blessing it is to be able to afford to buy all of this. In that moment, I caught a glimpse of God's kingdom that he could see the blessing that it was that I could indeed afford those groceries I was buying. And my heart was turned toward those children who go hungry when there are snow days because they don't get their school lunch. My heart was turned toward those who go hungry when there is something that prevents them from going to the homeless services center for a meal. Change our hearts and expand our minds, O Lord. I give thanks for the glimpse of the kingdom that I saw in the heart of that grocery store clerk yesterday. Expanding our hearts and minds is a vital part of repenting so that we can participate in God's kingdom here and now. Jesus invites us to begin this work and to live lives that reflect this reality so that others around us will glimpse the kingdom. If we read this text in the Greek instead of English, 
When Pat said the word repent, we would have instead heard the word metanoia. This literally means expand your mind. To move from the finite experience of our human perspective to the broader divine perspective. At the heart of the gospel is a call to change the way that we see the world, to expand beyond what we believe and to see things in a new way, to get a glimpse of the kingdom of God in our midst. This journey begins with a willingness to change our perspective, to see things differently and to sacrifice, which requires humility. My friends, as we begin our Lenten journey together, Let us go into that wilderness with Jesus and let us embrace his gospel message. Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. Amen.